Listen to the word of the Lord. Colossians chapter 1. We always pray for you and we give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people. Which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You've had this expectation ever since you heard the truth of the good news. The same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He's Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He's told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So we've not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear Son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result... He has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. I'm glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. 
This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God, perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. This is the word of the Lord. I suspect that every single one of us needs a bigger Jesus. A nearer Jesus, a more comprehensive Jesus, a closer Jesus, a stronger Jesus, a wiser Jesus, a more biblical Jesus. Melissa sent me a wonderful article by Ray Ortland this week talking about how do we find health? How do you get healthy? And Ray's answer was, you get a more biblical Jesus. Ray's conviction was, there are aspects of Jesus we like and we're drawn to. There are aspects of Jesus that are our favorite parts. We play those records often. And there are other aspects of Jesus we perhaps accidentally ignore, play down. And it's those aspects of Jesus we may be ignoring that are the remedy for us to get healthy. We need a bigger Jesus. We need a more biblical Jesus, a more full Jesus. And the Jesus presented here in Colossians chapter 1 is the remedy for what's going on in the Colossian church, a church of culturally mixed people who some of them are Jewish and some of them are Gentiles. And Well, they're, Jew- they're Gentiles who've kind of gotten obsessed with some Jewish traditions. They want to take on special months and years and spiritual experiences and fastings and encounters and angel visions and secret wisdom and knowledge. And that's very apl- applicable today, isn't it? We meet Jesus in the beginning and the freshness of the gospel and the relationship with God is enjoyable for a time until we get stuck or something difficult happens and then we often turn to something else other than the way we got in to move on. But the way in is the way on. And anything we add to Jesus diminishes Jesus and by doing diminishes us. And so Paul writes Colossians to say, um, actually, your special days and seasons and months, your special angel revelations and fastings and prayers, you're going to all these conferences to get the powerful man of God to lay his hand on you, as nice as that might feel, is no substitute for what you most need, which is what you already have in Jesus. I love... Healthy theology paired with charismatic experience. I really do. I don't think it's healthy to not have charismatic experience because if you've read the Bible, that's normal, right? I don't think it's healthy not to be concerned about the voice of God because if you read the Bible, the voice of God is normal. I don't think it's healthy to not go after encounters with Jesus because if you read the Bible, they're available and that's normal. But I also don't think it's healthy to try to supplement Jesus 
I don't think it's healthy to uh, feel like the answers are somehow outside of Jesus and need to be added to. If he made everything, if he made everything, if everything that exists in every stretch of this vast cosmos and all the biological life and all the physical world and even the laws of gravitation and everything, if everything was designed by Jesus and for Jesus, if even the invisible realms, this was fun, I was working at a gas station, should I finish that sentence? I should finish that sentence. It's something I do where I don't finish a sentence and I start a new paragraph. If he made all of that, then maybe, just maybe, he's the expert on all of that. Maybe, just maybe, like Colossians chapter 2, verse 3 says, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hid in Jesus. So if we want them, we should go after him. Maybe, just maybe, he knows how life works best. In Sunday school this morning, I said that some of us accidentally make Jesus the minister of afterlife affairs, as though he's Lord over the afterlife and forgiveness of sin. But for the rest of life, we really need a lot more wisdom than what he can provide. But if, if the gospel is true, then the expert on everything is Jesus. The expert on childhood is, Je- childhood is Jesus. Child rearing is Jesus. Marriage is Jesus. How to live in this world with diversity. How to be, how to be faithful and find a purposeful life in the midst of a world where every, every, it's everyone for themselves. Jesus is the expert. Jesus is the expert on mental health. Jesus is the expert on physical health. Jesus is the expert on social problems. Jesus is the expert on poverty. Jesus is the expert on everything. He's the expert on gender relations. He's the expert on ecology. He's the expert on end-of-life issues. He's the expert on bioethical issues that are challenging. He's the expert on your self-esteem issues and your inability to set up healthy boundaries with people and your unwillingness to forgive someone who's wronged you. He's the expert on everything that challenges us. And to leave him behind, to find resources elsewhere, is not really leaving him behind at all. It's finding his resources from him through sources without footnotes acknowledging he's the real source. Since no one ever got free of addiction through Alcoholics Anonymous without having it be Jesus who did it. Since no one ever found help from a secular counselor without having be Jesus be the one who the counselor was receiving wisdom from. Since all truth is God's truth. What's happening downstairs? What is going on? Is there a volcano about to erupt? I suspect that the ways we're minimizing Jesus, are we're blind to those ways. But he's very willing to reveal himself to people who want light and truth, isn't he? He's no respecter of persons. He rewards everyone who seeks him. Everyone who seeks him finds him, as long as we seek him with all our heart. I think it's so fascinating in in. You know, it's not just chapter one. I just decided that I wouldn't read you the whole book of Colossians all in one shot. But it's not just Colossians that's shot through with the this Jesus is absolutely sufficient, fantastic, and 
and the center of our life and the source of our life and the source of our wisdom and our help and our strength and our hope and our peace and it's who God is like and if you get him you get the Father and the Holy Spirit and if you miss him you miss the Father and this it's not just Colossians it's Hebrews it's Peter it's James it's it's the whole Bible I was going to say New Testament but that's not true Jesus says in John chapter 5 that you diligently search the scriptures thinking that through them you have life, but actually they testify about me, but you refuse to come to me to have life. In other words, Jesus is the point of the book. The whole book points to him. The whole book centers around him. Everything leading up to him is shadows pointing to him. To him. Everything coming out from him is effects pointing back to him. I love, I said some of this in Sunday school, but I love the sermon that Randy Clark preached in the middle of the Toronto blessing in the mid-90s, and he was concerned about some of the manifestations and some of the frenzy, and people's emphasis was becoming on the experiences. Some of the people's emphasis was becoming on the holy laughter, on the gold teeth, on the eccentric, uh, you know, fringe elements, and it concerned him. Because none of that was really his heart, and definitely none of that was John and Carol Arnott's heart, the pastors who, hosted, who you know, led the church, humanly speaking. Their emphasis was the Father. Their emphasis was the love of God. Their emphasis was the adoption that we have in Jesus. Their, their emphasis was the healing power of the gospel to transform hearts and lives and find health and wholeness. But Randy was concerned about the fringe elements, and so he preached a little sermon that one of his friends, you know, Doug, what are you trying to do to me? His friend, John Wimber, if that had fallen down, I would have felt bad about that. I can't make any other promises than that. (laughs) So Randy preached this little sermon, which John Wimber at that point, I think he was dying of cancer. He's founded the Vineyard Movement. I just love John Wimber. He's one of my all-time heroes. And Wimber's health was failing, but he had, his, he had his finger on the pulse of what was going on in, at this little church, which had become a huge church through what was going on there. And he said, Randy, that was a, you, this, the sermon you just preached was the best one you preached in the whole renewal service because they had like 53 days of, of church. And it feels like a little, that's a lot of church. Yeah. Like, I love Jesus, but I also love Jesus outside and at the beach. <laughs> You know, and making things with my hands. And it seems like if he's there and not just here, maybe we don't need to just camp here all the time and think that. Amen, somebody. I like Jesus, but church is supposed to get over, and then we're supposed to go live our lives for Jesus. And that's our act of worship. Because if heaven is nothing but an endless song service, that would be really inconsistent with the Bible, wouldn't it? It was about living. Jesus never said, sing to me or pray to me. He said, follow me. Sound familiar? Anyone know who that quote is from? It's Dan. Jesus never said, sing to me or pray to me. He said, follow me. Okay. But the sermon that Wimber looked at in this renewal thing, as the most important sermon in the whole thing, was Randy had them turn to the passage where it's the Mount of Transfiguration. Y'all remember this? They go up the mountain, and it says that their clothes are turned wider than any launderer. Is that the right word? That feels like, a, like illegal, like we're cleaning money illegally. 
It's okay if I repeat myself. All right. It's okay. Help me. Their clothes are shining whiter than you can make them with photo editing software. And who shows up? Does anyone remember who shows up? Moses and Elijah show up. The law and the prophets show up to point to Jesus. And here comes the voice of the Father in the midst of this. Here's the law, here's the prophets, and here's the voice of the Father. And he says, what? This is my son. Listen to him. And Randy preached this message called, Jesus is the point of all your mountaintop experiences with God. Jesus is the focus of your mountaintop experiences with God. And he's the point of your mountaintop experiences with God. In Colossians, it says, Paul says, some of you are talking about all these revelations you had. I've heard some crazy stuff, man. Oh, there's an angel named this, and he anointed me to do this. And I have, and, and, and some of that stuff, man, I just go, can you tell me about Jesus? How is what you're saying going to relate to the main goal here, which is to grow up in Jesus and bear fruit for Jesus and make disciples of Jesus, to know God. You know, Paul has this gripped, Philippians 3, he's gripped with this one thing. I want to what? I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. Yet for all the stuff that was gained, I was super religious, man. It'd be like saying, I, I aced all my Bible tests. I was a straight A student. I, bought, I, got the, I got the piece of gum at the end of every Sunday school thing that said, did you read your Bible verses this week, little kid? No, I absolutely nailed every time I got a piece of gum. You should see the stack of gum I have. You should see how many stars I have on my chart. And all that is loss. All my accomplishments for God actually have served to get in the way. Now I only want one thing. Because look what happened as a result of all his efforts to serve God. He ended up persecuting the very church. He ended up persecuting the very God he was seeking to serve. Now he's got one treasure and it's not that. Now this he considers, let's just keep it untranslated. Dung next to knowing Jesus. Everything he thought advantaged him spiritually and morally and ethically as being someone who was right. Everything that he thought was his identity, he now considers a liability and all he wants to know is Jesus. Because one encounter with Jesus unmasked the emptiness of everything he had constructed for God. I just, you know, one morning, Garth was being funny. He was kidding. Yes, many times Garth is funny, but this particular morning is relevant to this message. It's pre-service, and we just finished practicing our songs, and we're milling about, waiting to begin, and he walks up to me and says, can we sing to just someone else other than Jesus? This week was hard, and I'm not in a mood. Later, he told me he was testing me. Um, And I said, no. 
and got up on stage and we sang. <laughs> what kind of, it's like, that's kind of an essential component of our faith, is that we worship Jesus on the day he rose from the dead. <laughs> like he saved heaven and earth, not just us. It's a big deal, right? He saved dolphins and turtles when he rose, Colossians says, that he reconciled all things to God. All things. That the salvation of Jesus is encompassing so much more. And again, just got to come back to it and say it one more time because I love it. He is not minister of afterlife affairs. He is Lord. So what wisdom does he have that we need today? What mercy might he have that we need? We, we, and we aren't even fully aware. Have you ever heard his voice and realized that what he's saying to you met a need you weren't fully in touch with? One of my most common responses to the Lord is simply to weep. You know, and I, I kind of grew up in the context where weeping was associated with repentance. But that's not what I'm saying. I weep when I'm happy. I weep when something's beautiful. I weep when I'm grateful. And it's my most common manifestation of the Spirit. Is to feel His presence and have a deep abiding peace. And His mercy and His goodness are so good that I weep. One day, we had gathered together as post-reachers. Does anyone know what reach is? Who doesn't know what reach is? Just raise your hand if you're like, reach? What is reach? Good. There we go. Reach is our denomination's short-term mission program. And Carrie and I were on the India team. So it's three months of DTS, and then we did six months of outreach. And so then, after a couple of years, we did a sort of a little reunion for our graduating group all the teams, the Team USA and Team Ecuador and Team whatever all came together. And a gentleman was, was brought there to preach at us. And he spoke about Jesus. He spoke about abiding in the vine, John 15. And he spoke about this, just, simp- just the simple thing of Jesus and God's grace and God's love. And he was saying things like, you know, Jesus is seeking us. Jesus is reaching us. It's not us reaching him. It's him reaching us. It's him coming into us and bringing life to us. It's not us constructing a life for him. In fact, Jesus is so sticky, he's like a computer virus. And he gets into your system and your operating system starts to become corrupted by Jesus. It starts to affect the way things are working and change how things are working. In fact, Jesus is such a complicated virus, so hard to remove from your operating system, that whole denominations and theologians argue to this day over whether it's possible to ever get rid of this virus. And some of us who are strong on the free will side of the equation are like, of course you can get rid of the virus. But we don't want to. Does that make you feel happier about Calvinists just for a moment? Heck yeah, it should. I love Calvinists. Because the conviction underneath that is, do you think his grace will fail you? Do you think you're going to jump out of his hand? Do you think... I love that stuff, man. And as I'm sitting and listening to this gentleman talk about the glories of Jesus, I was realizing that at college, I craved 
I craved hearing someone under the anointing talk to me about this Jesus. Not just the dry stuff, stuffy, you know, cultural stuff and, and historical stuff. But yeah, fine, lay that foundation, but land the plane. Land the plane. He's alive. He's a person. He's in the room. He's here and now. He's the God we have to do with, not the God we talk about, but the God we deal with. Amen. I'm pro-academic. I'm pro-big thoughts. I'm pro-culturally uh, appropriate hermeneutics. But land the plane, man. Give me Jesus. And so I was like, I didn't realize how starved I had become at college for somebody who was actually just going to minister in the Spirit, not just lay foundation for someone else to minister in the Spirit later. Four years from now, you can have a relationship with Jesus again after you're done studying the Bible. (laughs) If we make it. If we make it. So much of that experience for me of 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 the higher education stuff was so painful, but guess who made me do it? Here's me. I got saved. Can we do story time for just a minute? I'm 19 years old. I meet Jesus. And I'm like, I'm going to go to Ireland. I'm going to go to a, bi- a charismatic Bible school in Ireland. And uh, here was my strangeness at the time. I'm a baby Christian. My best friend is a Pentecostal. My favorite preacher is a Calvinist. My church of origin is Mennonite. So I went to Rosedale because my mom, Rosedale's our Bible college, okay? And my mom said, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. And my mom says, I want you to go to Rosedale. Well, y'all know what that means, right? I'm going to Rosedale. Why? <laughs> Honor your father and mother. I'm a, I'm a brand new believer. I'm looking in the book and I'm just doing what it says. Do I want to go to Rosedale? Survey says. <laughs> eh. No, why? But why do I not want to go, Butch? Why would I want to hang out with weird Mennonites? The women are going to be wearing culottes and head coverings. The men are going to be wearing Lee jeans and like button-ups tucked in and big belt buckles and boots. And nothing wrong with that, but... I was going to be wearing my big fat skater jeans and my just long hair colored. Just trying to say I would have, I was like, help, Lord, they won't like me. I'm weird. They're weird. But I went. And while I'm there, I bump into Paul Kurtz. Paul Kurtz is, you know... See, I never, know, I never know if I'm supposed to ignore the comments or, or listen more closely to the comments. So Paul Kurtz and I bump into each other, and he says, what are you going to do next? I said, I'm going to Ireland, going to go to a Bible school. I'm hesitating to share some of the details of that, but I was like, man, we're gonna, it's going to be, it's magically delicious. Anyway, um, so I'm all about this thing. I have a plan. Then I go home, and I'm studying Galatians. And I'm finding out that I'm free from the law. Now, I'm a baby Christian, so as soon as I get saved, I instantly start to become legalistic. Like, the second I get saved, why? Because I'm homeschooled 
in a family called performance-based acceptance. And I'm not blaming mom and dad. Mom and dad are amazing. I'm talking about the way the world works. The whole world like works. Performance-based acceptance. I didn't even realize how insecure I am about losing God's approval and gaining God's approval. So Galatians is just shaking, shaking me at a deep level when I'm realizing, let me get this straight, he's not measuring me up and finding me wanting. He's measured up Jesus and found me wanted. And I'm in Jesus. And that he's qualified me. I win at the beginning of the race. He hands me the award at the beginning of the race. And that spurs me on and causes me to fall in love with him so that falling in love with him, it's God's kindness that leads to repentance. We abide in his love, and as you know, but I didn't know, and I was learning. So I'd read Galatians, and I'd read this book, Grace Walk, explaining it to me, because sometimes you see what you are trained to see when you read your Bible. So without a good teacher, sometimes you read the wrong things into the Bible that aren't in the Bible. Like I say, there's some ideas so bad you can't learn them unless you go to church. Let me switch that. Nowadays, I'd switch it. I'd say, there's some ideas so bad that you can't unlearn them unless you go to church because you're so podcasty. Right? Okay. Mm, YouTube. Mm. I don't know why I'm staring at Melissa. Probably because she's safe. She knows I'm like not talking about her. So... And every night, I'm just like, oh, my word, your grace is so amazing. I can't believe how you love me. This is so incredible. Like, I feel like I've won the lottery of existence. I'll do anything for you. You're saying if I screw up today, you're still going to love me, and I'm still going to be your kid? Ah, what? I'm not just, I'm not falling in and out. He loves me. He loves me not. Have you ever heard anyone say something, like, so idiotic that you go, are you serious right now? Like, this one gal, I said, you know, do you know Jesus? She goes, oh, yeah, I've been saved, like, four times. Wow, how have you achieved the theologically impossible? What? But I'm just, his, his grace, his, the finished work, his, his open arms, the adoption, the sonship, the covenant he has with his son, and I'm in, I'm so in. I'm in. I'm in like Abraham. No, wait a minute. I'm in the same thing as Abraham. I'm Israel. Hi, nice to meet you. I'm Jewish. I'm all the way in. You can't, there's no promises given to Abraham that aren't mine. They're mine. They're mine. And I've got better ones. Got better ones. Better ones. What? So I'm like, God, I'll, I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. And then in the back of my heart is this little voice that says, but not India. Well, because mom and dad took a trip to India and they ate spicy food and their faces blew up and had diarrhea for three months. And actually, they were only there a month, so, but they did have diarrhea for a long time afterward. And she was, oh, this culture shock. She was not exactly, uh, you know, the person, that stage where you, you could learn how to honor another culture at the, very well. Like her description of the culture was it's dirty and chaos and, you know, you try to go through a traffic light and just, you can't. Because nobody obeys the traffic signals and it's crowds and overcrowding and everyone's... It just the, I was a kid and she told me the horror stories and I was like, so, okay, put that on the list of never do that. You know what I mean? Like the, the, like the missionaries like, 
come to your church and they tell you about the poop-eating spiders in the latrines in Africa. And, they may, and you're going, spiders? Biting me on my rear end? Spiders the size of a baseball? Yeah. How about not Africa for me? And you're a kid. You're, you're, like Africa's so much more than that, but you're a kid and you don't know. So you start saying, never that, Jesus. Like, Lord, Jesus, I'll do anything for you within reason. And that was what I was... Uh, so uh, Galatians has just got me. I'm, da- I'm dancing. I'm dancing before the Lord. I'm spinning. I'm, I'm rejoicing. And I'm like, I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. Your love's amazing. You've given me everything. You didn't even, you didn't even pull back from the cross. How could I pull back from anything? But not India. Just, I mean, come on, be reasonable. Three nights in a row that happened where I danced, I praised the Lord, I said... I'll do anything, but, you know, also, you know, please don't have it be India. And every night, he didn't say anything. He just gave me that look. You know the look? The look that says, really? And every night I said, ah, fine. I guess if you ask, I would say yes. And on day four, I got an email from Paul Kurtz that says, you know, the last time we spoke, I know you were all gung-ho about about Ireland and this Bible college and everything, but, 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 but hear me out. I can't shake the feeling that you're supposed to go to India. And I'd like you to pray about it. Uh-huh. Too late. Already prayed. I'm toast. So I go, go to India, and the very first bite of the very first meal... I bite into a pepper. I don't know what kind of pepper. But my face hurt. My whole face. Not my mouth part of my face. And I looked around the room. I have wide-eyed. What is happening? And I look at all the rest of the people on the team, and they're happily munching away like everything's fine. What is this... Are you guys all crazy? I'm, you, you, sugary things help. Water doesn't help, but sugary things help. So we have Coca-Cola. But the fizz, the sugar's your friend, but the fizz. It's like someone soothing you, but also occasionally just scratching you. I get back to the place where we're staying, and I look in the mirror, and I have a wound on my tongue. No lie. A wound on my tongue. And I'm like, is this what it's going to be? The whole, I did, you know. But I fell in love with India. I fell in love. All you got to do is play Indian music to this day, and I feel the feelings of sentimentality and nostalgia, and I want to go back. No, there were not spiders. The people were so beautiful. The culture was so much more welcoming and generous. I actually was sad coming back to America. It's like concrete and people wearing uncolorful clothing in these places not worth caring about. You know what I mean? Concrete everywhere. Huge, empty wastelands of asphalt. They would never tolerate that in India. They'd fill it with cows and flowers and shops and vendors and sounds and diesel engines and people singing loudly and yelling at four in the morning on the train, coffee, coffee, coffee! And you're like, I will murder you if you don't let me sleep. You won't actually murder them. It's a figure of speech. 
And I think I got a cavity in the short amount of time I was there because they load up everything with sugar, the chai and the coffee and the hospitality. And I loved it. You, you know, Pastor P. Daniel says, come with me, brother. And he takes me off into nowhere to a little mud hut. And I'm reading scripture and he's translating to this widow who lives alone in a little mud hut in the middle of nowhere. And the spirit of God is there. And then we show up in the, in the middle of the night and a couple wakes up from their bed to make us food. Seems incredibly rude to me now. But they seemed overjoyed to host us. And we sit and we talk the things of the kingdom and we eat. And, and, and then we leave to visit somebody else late in the evening. And he says to me, you are a great missionary. And I'm like, I am? And I start wearing a lungi because the men over there wear, well, it looks like a skirt. I wanted to do whatever they were doing. And I, they made us food by the halfway through. They would make the food not spicy. They make it for white people. And... Yeah. And I would see how they make, I would spice the food, go back into the kitchen and spice the food the right way and sit there with my lungi and eat it. And this one you know, person came to me and they're like, man, we've had people come through here. They, they're like, can I have a hot dog? <laughs> and he felt so honored just by the fact that I was doing simple, small things that honestly are just plain fun to do. Right? That's not the sacrificial stuff. I wasn't being killed for my faith. I was getting to play dress up with my new awesome friends. Now, there were some things that were really weird. I had a friend who would always buy me presents, and he wanted to hold my hand while we walked around in public. That was weird, but not in their culture. It was a sign of brotherhood. It was a sign of acceptance. It was a sign of... He liked me. He was not in that way, but in the normal way, in the healthy way. But man, I couldn't quite stop blushing. It was a part of my culture. I couldn't make it stop. And the gift giving. I was like, easy. What's next? Roses and a poem? I'm confused. And I preached this message in, on Hebrews and the discipline of, of the father as, as like he's accepting you. And this gentleman, young man came forward and he said, I want to accept Jesus. And I said, nah, you don't. You just think you do. And he said, no, I want to give him my life. I said, no, you don't. You just have a feeling because of a service. You don't want to pay the cost. It's going to cost you everything. You have to love him more than your parents. You have to love him more than everything else in life. You have to take up your cross and deny yourself. So unless that's what you're about, don't talk to me about you want to follow Jesus. I do want to follow Jesus. You don't understand what we're talking about. You just want to add Jesus to the list of your gods. Don't don't talk to me unless you're serious. I kept trying to argue him out of it. He kept trying to argue me into it. Yeah, leave me in the prayer. I want to accept Jesus. No, you're not ready. You don't. No, you're not serious. I was doing my best job of being an evangelist. Do you know what I mean? Actually, I was doing a great job being an evangelist. I did not want him to uh, accept Jesus as uh, one who forgives your sins, but you don't follow in daily life. I was like, come on, you don't, unless, unless you're serious about following him with your whole life and surrendering your life to him, let's not play games. Well, finally, he twisted my arm enough. I explained some things like about what's wrong with humans, looking at Romans 1, like what's wrong with humans? Like there's a deep problem that, that, that we need addressed, a deep, deep, sinful, wicked problem that we humans need addressed. We can't address it. We need help from the outside. And he's like, oh, yes, I know. And so we're, I'm talking, and I said, you know, does he understand that he has sinned? And the translator says, do you understand that you've sinned? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I've sinned a lot. Well, what are examples? He's like, oh, I cut people. And I'm like, what is he talking about, cut people? 
he meant stab people and has gone to jail for it. And I was like, okay, I think he gets it. Uh, that guy accepted Jesus and kept hanging around. He just kept showing up and he was always happy and always singing. I was like, I think this might even be real. It's a shocker. Can you believe it? A real, a real convert. And at some point on the trip, my team leader, my team was like, especially Irma, the team leader, was like, um, you're called to preach. And I was like, oh man, that would be amazing. Well, I, I, I always want, as soon as I got saved, I wanted the microphone, right? But I didn't trust that desire was coming from a healthy place. Does that make sense? Like, you know, so I didn't admit that I wanted to preach because I didn't trust my own motives at all. In India, the place I didn't want to go to but obeyed Jesus and went to anyway, I discovered a calling to preach that I was afraid to admit was from the Lord and was afraid that it was just coming from a desire to be seen or to be heard or to accomplish things. And then back, there we are to performance-based acceptance. If I preach and people are like, oh, that was great, then I'm like, I feel wonderful. But if they're like, that was stupid, then I'm like, oh, let's get out of that, right? Also, my team leader said, are you going to ask Carrie on a date when this thing's over with? And I was like, heck, now I'm going to be free. Because the only thing I knew about me and sexuality was me and sexuality weren't going so hot. So I just was like, let's do only Jesus, all Jesus, exclusively Jesus. And the team leader was like, you're, uh, she's like rolling her eyes. Don't you think that maybe the Lord wants you happy? And I was like, no, me seeking happiness is the worst idea. Trust me, I lived 19 years with me trying to be happy, and all I did was become selfish and mean and unloving. I'm not going down that road again. But she planted a seed. Yeah, she planted a seed. And the seed was, maybe God wants to give you good things. But the weird part about my life is a series of doing what I don't want to do to get what I want, but wouldn't admit. Does that make any sense? Me. No, not that. Yes, that. And then in the process, the thing that I thought I was going to get over here, he gave in a different format. Come back from India and, oh man, I hate school, but I love learning and I don't know how to fit that together. You know, now we have a school and it's great, but that's funny too to me. You know, when, we, when I graduated high school, I flipped the building off and said, I'm done, never going to go back. For me, that was 12 years of prison. Amen. But I get saved. I go, I go to India, and, I feel, and I'm feeling called to preach, and the Lord speaks as clear as a bell through a friend. Well, now that you've discerned a call to preach, and we all agree, we all agree, this is what you are called to do, now you need Training. Training. Can't we just go with trying? How many of you know that trying is not as good as training? Anyone? A few. (laughs) Trying and failing versus training and slowly becoming more successful? Okay. And the Lord speaks through my friend and says, through C.S. Lewis, through a friend, the Lord's, well, it was my own mouth confirming what my friend was exhorting with me. The Lord's no fonder of intellectual slackers than of any other kind of slacker. A.K.A. He doesn't like slacker. He likes diligence. He likes faithfulness. And I said, oh no, you're kidding me. So off we go to college. 
Then at the end of that process, I'm wondering what was all that about? Because it was eight years, not just four years. It was bachelor and then a master. And I'm going, what was all that about? I don't even know if I'm saved half the time anymore. What was all that about? And my pastor speaks this little story about the jade smith. And every morning, this young man comes to him and says, Can I, I want to I be a master jade jeweler like you. It's a Chinese proverb or, or a Chinese parable. I want to be a jade, uh, brilliant jade smith like you. And so every morning, he throws him a lump of jade and says, Look at it, investigate it, evaluate it. All day, and he's bored out of his mind, and he does this day after day and thinks he's being tested. You know what I mean? He thinks this guy's just trying to wear me out and see if I'm committed. I'll show him, but after a couple of weeks, he's furious, and he says, what are you doing to me? All right, fine. So he switches it up. The next morning, well, he says he's going to switch it up, so the next morning he comes back, and he says, I'm ready to begin my real training. And he throws him a lump. And he catches it midair and he's just getting ready to let him have it and say, I am so done with this shenanigans. I, I, I was serious. Why would you disrespect me this way? I'm serious. I'm committed. I'm all in. What is wrong with you? And just then he realizes, that doesn't feel right. That doesn't look right. And he says, that's not Jade. And he goes, now you're ready. We can begin. I didn't want to go to school. The very thing I didn't want, the aspect of life I didn't want, was prone in my personality to diminish, was the aspect Jesus had to hammer into me first. And there's such an important thing here. If we'll say our yes to Jesus and keep saying our yes to Jesus and keep saying our yes to Jesus, he'll take us places we would never have gone if we are left to our own devices or left to craft him in our own preferred image of him. Or even craft ourselves in our own preferred image of ourselves. One more brief tidbit before I stop. I got a prophecy when I was seeking to try to figure out what to do after seminary. Looking online at all the jobs available for pastors and for worship leaders. And it was deeply depressing. Churches I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. You can laugh. Job descriptions that just kill me with a rusty spoon. I don't, I'm not taking that job. I'm in deep despair. I have a lot of sympathy for someone who's on a job search and the feelings that, that can happen of identity crisis. At least I, that's what I went through. And the Lord speaks to me in the basement and says, Tim, it's not about the internet. It's all about the network. And I said, wow, that's extremely unhelpful and... Sounds just like you to speak to me in riddles. My uncle calls me and says, how's it going? What's your future looking like? And I said, I don't know, but the Lord gave me this cryptic uh, riddle. And he goes, wow, that's clear what it means. I said, it is? He said, of course it is. You're supposed to join the conservative Mennonite conference. If there weren't only me on the phone, I would definitely be assuming that's for someone else. I said, that's a bad idea. I won't fit. 
I won't fit culturally. I won't fit theologically. It'll be a big disaster. He says, just promise me you'll interview. So I interview, and in the morning of the interview, I pray from Revelation, Jesus' own declaration of himself. He holds the key of David. I said, Lord, whatever you shut, no man can open, and what you open, no man can shut. So I'll take whatever decision this executive board gives as your decision. And we walk in, and they read through my evaluation, and they're just going way too easy on me. So what could I do? I had to cross-examine myself. I said, guys, aren't you scared that my view of God's mercy and grace being wide is going to diminish a motivation to evangelize? And they're like looking at me like, I'm like, I am. You should be asking me this, this, this. Guys, aren't you scared that my embrace of science is going to erode people's high view of Scripture regarding Genesis 1 and the creation narrative? And they're looking at me like, I am. And I'd, on and on, I cross-examined myself for a good 30 minutes. And just, I'm trying to figure out, is there some way that you can reject me now instead of after I fall in love with some church? And then you guys are like, he's a heretic. Kick him out. And I'm going to break everyone's heart. Can you just fire me at the front end? I was trying. It was like, let's be as honest as we can. And at the end of the process, they say, well, this was wonderful and so helpful. And one old gentleman with a little pot belly, farmer pastor from, I can't say, maybe Kansas. And he says, I learned so much reading your document. You mean you learned? What? Talking about I'm a delight to be with. You guys aren't even supposed to like me. And then they pray, and at the end, Dewey Matthews from Iowa says, Lord, you hold the keys. And what you shut, no man can open, and what you open, no man can shut. See, my life, I don't know if yours is this way, but my life is a series of ironies and comedies. Sometimes tragedies. Of following Jesus where I don't want to go. And in the process. Receiving what I most want. All right. A bigger Jesus. Let's pray. Go ahead and stand.